<clears throat> Last week, we looked at the fact that in every era, no matter what's happening, no matter what's going on, no matter what culture's doing, no matter what is going on in your life and my life, and on an individual basis or a family basis, God always asks us to trust him more. He says, no matter how good things are going, he always says, I can do more. And he wants us to trust him more. And, and that was the message of the early church. But within the first couple of centuries, uh, because of human nature and culture, there was pressure on that to turn, instead of that message being out there and what God wants to do to lead us on, but to turn it inward and to uh, make it static, to harden it up a bit. And we found out that, that uh, the church became known as a location or a place or a building and not this living, moving, dynamic entity known as the gathering, the people of God, okay? And, and, and in the early days, obviously, that wasn't that way. As we look at the New Testament, we look at the book of Acts, uh, it was just this, this vibrant, exciting thing that had happened, this intense thing that had happened around this message that everybody lives forever somewhere. And that's a dilemma, but God has solved the dilemma through this thing called the cross, forgiving our sin and making it possible to have peace with God. And then there was this one singular event that made it all make sense known as the resurrection. And people saw this, and people that didn't even believe it yet were watching this, and they saw the love that people had for one another within the early church, the, the, the care, and, and it was like, whoo, man, I would like to see some of that in my life. And the promise of Jesus in his last commandment, to love one another as I have loved you, uh, and then people will know that I'm for real and that you are my disciples, it came true. And they had great favor with all the people in Jerusalem in those early days. Not the leaders, not the people that wanted the power, but with the people, the everyday people. And, and what they saw that was so stunning was the culture around them was like the walking dead, but the church was like a walking miracles in the midst of all that. And, and that kind of energy and that kind of resilience is like something that we rarely see today. We've kind of lost that, haven't we? We've lost that in, in our our day and age. And, and, you know, there are a lot of reasons, but one, one reason is that is for us in America today is we live in the safest place and the safest country in the world and in the history of the world to be a Christian. And I know there's pushback about religious freedom and all that. I totally get that. We talked about that before. But the reality is it's still the safest place. And, you know, I, sometimes I think of our Christian brothers and sisters in Sri Lanka and stuff like that. Places like that. And I, I, sometimes I pray when I'm praying, I say, Lord, you know, it, might, it must just seem strange <laughs> for me to pray for these needs and so forth when we are so blessed by you and, and where we live and so forth and so on. But would you just, you know, open up my mind, open up my heart. And that's kind of what I'm asking him to do. Open up our, our hearts and our minds in the midst of this blessing of what more that he could possibly do, what more he wants to do. You see, I'm not saying we should feel guilty for being blessed. I'm not saying we should uh, feel bad or, or experience that. No, 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 not, not, not at all. I'm just saying that we shouldn't let that blessing, that affluence or that whatever we have and what we live with, stop us from seeing what God can do more, what he wants to do more, the, the whole new way that he can help us conceive of, because he's already conceived it, of what he wants to see happen. And that's, he, he wants to lift us up even beyond where we're at right now and be able to see what could be and what, what might be. And that that's the promise that Jesus wants to give us. In fact, we want to look at a, a text today, a story today from Mark chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 18. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. You can use your phone. Uh, if you don't, but please turn off the ringer, uh, or you can watch the, the screen. But, but we're going to look at 
a story where Jesus is dealing with a very 2019 controversy, okay? There's this controversy around him and his followers, his disciples, his early disciples, and the controversy is very 2019 because it's a religious controversy. That's, we got a lot of those. In fact, just about every controversy we have today has some sort of theological connection to it, Right? And, and this was one of those theological controversies, but it wasn't something that we worry about a whole lot. It was about fasting and whether his disciples should be fasting. So in Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 18, it says this. Now John's disciples, that is John the Baptist, John the baptizer, John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast, this is kind of a weird answer, while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have, have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and on the day, that day they will fast. Now, what Jesus is doing here is, again, he's trying to get them and trying to get us to envision a new way forward. Envision, envision something that is different, that is new for the forward that, that he wants to do in, in and among us. And here's how he gets at it. He uses this analogy of the bridegroom and a wedding. And uh, what's interesting is, is Matthew, when he tells this story in, in Matthew chapter 9, he, he uses the word mourn to mourn, like to, to be mournful, instead of the word fast in verse 19. In other words, how can you mourn when the bridegroom's with you? Now, again, this is this is sort of uh, beyond us, so we need to kind of go back to what they're talking about when this wedding thing. See, the wedding feast, the wedding deal was a huge deal in those days. When a man and a woman got married in those days, the whole village would stop. They'd put it on their calendars. I mean, life could really stink and stuff could be going bad, but there's that day, there's that wedding day. It's going to be so cool. It's going to be so great. Everybody wants to be there. And they had these, these attendants, these unmarried uh, women who, who were the attendants of the bride, and, and they, they waited for the groom to come. And when they saw him coming, the groom's here, the groom's here. And this is what Jesus is talking about, that he's the bridegroom because he's come. And when the bridegroom comes, yeah, the party is on. Okay, this was the big party. This was the big deal. This was the thing everybody looked forward to, and everybody wanted to be there, married, not married, uh, and especially if you're not married, because you never know, you might meet your bride or your bridegroom there. I mean, this was the whole social event of the whole year, maybe a couple of years if there hadn't been weddings and that sort of thing in that community and in those places. And Jesus is describing something these guys knew very much about. And what he says is, and he says, but the, but the time will come when the bridegroom is taken away. That word taken is actually a word that can mean like ripped out. It's almost violent, you know? Who knows, in this case, who's ripping him, who's taking him away? Could be the bride. Get out of here. I, I don't know. But he's saying there is a time when, when that will be. So what, what Jesus is saying is, look, I'm right in front of your face. Why would you be mournful? The party is on. But I acknowledge, I understand that things aren't always like this. Change does happen, change will happen, and change needs to happen. And that's just reality. So what Jesus is essentially saying is, life's not always a party, even though it's a party when I'm with you. The bridegroom won't always be here. In other words, that, 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 at that same level of intensity. And the intensity will ebb, and things will not stay the same. 
That's true in faith. That's true in life. That's true. He's just saying, why would you go, go with sort of the mournful kind of thing right now? Now, I'm a, I, I, it's, it's part of my job to think about the future of our, our life together, of our church, okay? I, I know you don't have time for it because you've got jobs and you've got kids and you've got, uh, you know, things to do and friends and that sort of thing. But it's my job. So I've been doing a lot of thinking about that. And, and uh, the, the reality is, is that Jesus wants us to understand that, you know, there are some great things happening right now. He, he, he's right in front of our face. I mean, we already saw sort of the, the, uh, the, the video of what happened over Easter. We had 1,200 people here, and that doesn't even include the bunny brunch. I mean, we had 20 people raise their hands and say, hey, and, and fill out cards. I, I would like to start a relationship with Jesus or renew a relationship with Jesus. It's, that's amazing. We have visitor flows that is off the charts. We have people that keep track of this stuff for us, believe it or not. And, and you know, we, we have churches, we have a visitor flow that many churches would give their pastor for. Right? Don't think about that. But anyway, we... We have this incredible blessing of being here. And yet Jesus says, but I, I, I want to do more. It won't always be like this or feel like this, but I can do more regardless of what's ahead. You see, essentially Jesus is saying, don't, um, don't miss me when I'm right in front of you. It's, it's what psychologists call intentional blindness. There's a book called uh, A Wild Goose Chase. If I ever write a book, I'm going to figure out a way to fit that in because that's a cool title. A Wild Goose Chase by Mark Batterson. He defines uh, intentional blindness this way. He says, our minds are wired in such a way that when a new stimulus is introduced into our environment, we become intensely aware of it. And over time, we adapt to the sights, sounds, and smells that constantly surround us. That's why we talked about the ebbing of the intensity there. Eventually, awareness fades and the constants in our environment become invisible. Psychologists call this intentional blind, uh, inattentional blindness. It happens with sunrises and snow and life in general. It is so easy to lose the joy of living, isn't it? It's also so easy to lose the joy of experiencing Jesus in his church family, in his gathering, in his ecclesia, in the church. Isn't it? I mean, it, that's, that's essentially what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, be careful because, you know, enjoy the bridegroom while you're here because I've got more I want to do. I got more. Than, but understand, change is a part of life in this world. Things do, will, and need to change. And so to avoid that unintentional blindness, Jesus gives a couple of parables, one-sentence parables, one-verse parables, uh, beginning at, at verse 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old and make the tear worse. So what Jesus is talking about here is he's, he's, he's talking about the fact that people had to mend their garments in those days. I mean, blue jeans with holes in them, believe it or not, was not cool in those days. And they couldn't just you know, throw away whatever they had and go down to Nordstrom and buy a new set. So they had, to, they had to sew on them. And Luke, in Luke chapter 5, when he tells this story, he says the two pieces of cloth won't match. Why? Because you got one garment that's been washed and washed and washed and the threads have shrunk and done whatever they're going to do. But then you've got this new piece of cloth that has not been washed. And when it is washed, it'll just sort of pucker up and pull off, right? He's saying nobody would do that. You don't, you don't want to be out of sync with that. 
You, you, you want to be in sync with what God is doing in your life and what God wants to do with your life. And so, so you need to be prepared for having some new spots within you, have some new, new, new uh, uh, garments, some new cloth to put the new cloth on. That, that's essentially what, what he's saying. He's, saying. he's not saying throw away all your old traditions and stuff. He's not saying don't stand on the shoulders of those uh, people who've had faith before you and gone before you. Of course you do. Thank God for those people. But don't just stop there is what he's saying. He's saying, you know, don't, don't just you know, let that be seen because that will ruin, just like it ruins a garment, that'll ruin everything. You see, this is a good time to say something I've said before, but it's so important when it comes to reading the Bible that I feel like I need to say it several times. When you read the Bible, particularly the history part, you know, the Old Testament or the book of Acts that's got a lot of history or, um, uh, you know, parts of the gospel, you have to understand that there are prescriptive things and there are descriptive things. There, there, there are things that are described in the Bible that the Bible's not necessarily, that God's not necessarily telling us we should do that. I mean, there are all kinds of people that do horrible things in the Bible because it's describing what actually happened. It's not saying you should do that. Even the little things that are not necessarily bad, like, you know, Jesus walked down the road this way. It doesn't mean we rock a certain way, right? It's descriptive. But then there are prescriptive things, which are things that God is calling us to do. And this is one of those prescriptive things. Jesus is saying, be prepared, invite me in to lift your eyes up above where you are now, even though you're being blessed, even though things are good or you know, things are uh, you know, tolerable or whatever they are. There are so much more things that you can't conceive. Essentially what Jesus is doing here is he's doing an a Ephesians 3 moment. Remember in Ephesians 3, Paul says, you know, God can do things beyond what you can ask him to do and he can do things beyond what you can even imagine to ask him to do. And he's saying, that's what I want you to understand. I want you to think, see, you know, open yourself up to a new way that's beyond your uh, conceivability, the, the, the ability to, to, to see, okay? And, and, and a church, you know, has always been in that kind of dangerous zone of, of living with our traditions, of, of sort of locking in, okay, it'll never change from here, right? We've never done it that way before, Right? And if you're a person here that's not a church person, I know that in this society, in this culture, people look at that and they say, well, that's kind of creepy, you know? And, and you need to understand if you're not a church person, the creepiness is partly our fault, and I confess that and, and, and apologize on, par, on behalf of the 20th, 20th and 21st century church. But part of it's not our fault because even Jesus' message today, because it says, you know, you're, you're not right about everything, and you're wrong, and there's this thing called sin, that's creepy to a lot of people, okay? Just, just saying. So it's not all our fault, but for the part that it is, I, I confess. But, but Jesus is saying, I can do so much more beyond that, you, but you've got to open up to the possibility that the, the message isn't going to change. The message is not going to change, but understanding how to communicate it and how to understand how to live it and, and what that means in your life in this moment now, it can change. You see, we are not God. We don't get to change the gospel. We don't get to change the good news. Only he gets to do that. But he, within that, there's all this freedom in order to how to communicate it. You see, the gospel is timeless. <coughs> Excuse me. The gospel is timeless. It's timelessly relevant. You know, there's a lot of talk of relevance today. We don't make Jesus relevant. He already is relevant and always will be relevant. You know, we, we don't change the gospel. Like, uh, let me just give you one example. The health, wealth, what is called the health, wealth, 
and happiness gospel or the health and wealth gospel. It's not really a gospel, at least not in the way that Jesus' gospel is a gospel. In fact, it's not even Christianity. It's not even the same religion. I'm sorry it's not. I mean, there's, there's, in this country, there's a big deal of that. In Africa, it's, it's doing all kinds of wreaking all kinds of havoc. There's a big church in Texas, which will go unnamed. It's kind of the center of it here. That says, God wants you to have this, and God wants you to have all the cars, and especially he wants your, car, your pastor to have 25 Mercedes-Benz and so forth like that. Just, that's not his intention. That's no. It doesn't mean, he, if you've got a Mercedes-Benz, he's not against the Mercedes-Benz. But that's so shallow. That's not, God says, no, i got so much more, so much more transformative that I want to do in your life, and so forth. And, and unless you open yourself to the possibility <clears throat> that I, God, can take that gospel and transform the world that you live in in the future, you won't understand that. I mean, let me just give you one example <clears throat> that I ran across this week. Uh, it, it comes from 1870s, the 1870s. There was a, apparently a church Bible conference at a place called Westfield College in Illinois. And the president of the college got up and said, we live in such amazing times. This is a great time to be alive. They're actually putting a thing called motors on carriages. And pretty soon we will be driving in horseless carriages. You know, it becomes the automobile. And it's just amazing. And everybody, wow. And he says, and I predict that one day very soon mankind will fly in the sky like birds. But the bishop of that particular denomination, that group, did not think that was cool. He got up next and he said, okay, you need to strike that. That was heresy. The Bible clearly says that only angels fly. But the embarrassing part of that was the bishop's name, his last name was Wright. As in Orville and Wilbur Wright, they were, he was as their dad. And less than 30 years later, Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, 1903, they flew. And here we are. You know what I mean? That, that's the reality. That, that, that those are the kinds of realities we just have to understand. God can do more than we can conceive. And you think about how these disciples who are sitting here listening to these, these uh, parables uh, applied this to the, to the church when they began to lead it. You know, it, it, it was all, uh, you know, all types of colors and nationalities and ethnicities of people. And, and um, you know, they didn't just shrug off the traditions, but they didn't let the traditions stop the God from making whole new traditions and bringing the gospel to bear on people's lives. And the only thing that you had to do is believe that Jesus was alive and that he was resurrected from the dead and he had forgiven your sins and you're a part of it. And if you don't believe that right now, that's great. You just come on in. We're going to love you and care for you because we'd love to have you have that kind of freedom. But, you know, you get to, to make that choice, but you're welcome to be here. And, and God just grew it exponentially, as we're going to see in a little bit. It was just phenomenal. It, it was amazing. And, and, <clears throat> So Jesus is teaching this for, for those reasons to help us make sure that, he, you know, he's essentially daring us to be on the right side of the gospel, not on the, our side or what we want it to make, not to confine God to what God can do. And so he gives another parable, another analogy in verse 22. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into, no, uh, into new wineskins. Now I need to kind of explain this skins thing. This might be a little creepy for some people, a little gross, but, but it's true. This is how they, 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 they skinned goats, for example, in those days in such a way that they could keep the leather but keep it intact and they would only have to sew up one end of it and it came, became a container. And then they would pour the new wine in there and the, after it, you know, the, the leather had been tanned and so forth, and the wine would ferment in there and the, the, the suppleness of the leather would grow and grow and grow. You know, it would stretch a little bit, okay? 
And, and as, as time goes on, those containers would get hardened, sort of like we can get hardened when we get a hardening of the categories kind of thing, right? And so God, you know, he doesn't dare pour new wine into that because we know it's got to be this way. Things can't change, don't like change, so forth and so on. And so, so, but this growing, this thing, it's sort of like what my dad did a couple of times. He had this tradition when he was a kid, they would make root beer, his Swedish tradition apparently, they would make root beer every Christmas. And what you did is he, he even got a bottle, I remember the bottle, uh, you know, capper, he had a bottle capper, and he would make this batch of root beer and then pour it into the bottles, and then you'd set it like in a dark, uh, warm place where he'd, he'd set it next to the heater, uh, you know, the heater pipe that was, uh, went through the, the, the closet, covered it with a blanket, had his little bottle babies there. And then it would ferment, really, is what it would do, turn into root beer. I remember my mom one time saying, Wendell, you got to get that, that, that stuff out of the closet. And he goes, no, let's, let's give it a couple more weeks. He wanted to see how far he, he could get it to ferment. But what was funny that year is one of them blew up. It was just hilarious. I mean, it blew up all over the, all over the closet. But it was funny at the time when I was uh, five years old. But um, so, so Jesus is saying that's the kind of thing that can happen to our faith. That's the kind of thing that can happen to the body of Christ, the, the church. If we're not open to those times, he's a, see, the big idea, and you ask yourself, what is God trying to have us do from this teaching? And what he's trying to have us do, what Jesus is trying to have us do, is open ourselves up to the possibility that's beyond our ability to conceive and to, to understand that God has a way that he wants to take us that just, it just doesn't fit our realm of possibility. In our, in our church, we've always been about new. I told the, the uh, pastor's lunch this last week, we've always been about new. It's in our DNA. I mean, we just kept newness, newness, newness. We always, we're a new church. We're 20-some years old. We're a new church. We're, in many ways, we're still a church plant. Why? It's because of this. It's because of this concept that it's possible for God to do a brand new thing anytime he wants to. You see, the gospel, the real good news, will transform people's lives and countries and cultures no matter what's ahead. It cannot be stopped. That's what Jesus wants us to understand. You're going to have, you're, you're, you human beings, you're just, you, you can't handle what I got for you. So you have to have some new wineskins. You have to open up a possibility of believing some things, possibility of thinking about some things, possibility of trusting me for some things that are beyond, because things will change, but boy, howdy, but can I use that change for good? And can I, because of my gospel, that's how my, how the gospel works. You see, in the, in the Western world, we've said this before too, I think, but in the Western world, there have been three eras since Jesus' time. There's been the pagan era since, you know, Jesus' time and before, which is the, the pre-Christian era. There's been the, quote, Christian era, and I put that in quotes because not everybody was a Christian, but everybody had a Judeo-Christian moral kind of center of things. That's kind of the way it worked, in the West at least. And then, as of a decade or two ago, now we're entering into the post-Christian world. And we can long all we want to for things to stay the same or to go back to the way they were, but they're never going back to the way they were. That's not bad news. That's actually good news in the hands of Jesus and the gospel. That's actually possibility, whole new possibilities, but it's not going to be the same. But that doesn't mean God's going to be absent. It means he's going to do his work. He's going to do it regardless is what Jesus is saying. We just have to be ready and we have to be prepared and he's daring us to be on the right side of that. Now, 
How does this apply to us? Let's get personal here for just a second. I, I, um, I've been thinking about this and praying about this since last summer, quite frankly. And uh, what I want to do is just share with you a list of a few things that we can be praying and thinking about. These aren't, these aren't the specific prayers because, you see, in, in a few weeks, <clears throat> a few weeks, in two weeks, you're going to want to be here in two weeks because you're going to get a gift. You're going to get a present when you come to church. It's a bookmark. It's a really cool bookmark. But it's going to be a list of prayers and so forth uh, that, um, that I'm going to ask you to pray, and I'm going to pray with you over the summer. Maybe you've heard I'm going on a, on a sabbatical this summer, okay? And, and uh, want us to do something together, and that's what this is about. And, and it's really important that we do that because, you know, there's some things that we're going to be talking about in the fall and learning them and growing and, and possibly uh, participating in and those sorts of things in the fall. Uh, and so I'm going to be going away, but I want us to do something together so we'll still be together in spirit um, for, for the sabbatical this summer. I'll be back toward the end of August. And oh, by the way, the church is not a location, but don't change the location location, okay, while I'm gone? And, and don't change the name of the church. I'll find you. I, I know where you are. But, um, so, but I just want to get us thinking about some things that maybe we uh, need to be praying about and thinking about. And as I prayed about it, these, these things keep coming up, and one specific thing keeps coming up. And it's not like I'm Moses. This is the beginning of a conversation. I didn't just come down from Sinai and got the Ten Commandments or whatever. This is just something that I think God's been really impressing on my spirit, and so I'm sharing it with my church family right now. And it's this. We have to develop an, an attitude or a mindset, uh, a worldview that says this. We will go to others, not just wait for them to come to us. This, I hope, I, I want you to understand how radical this is in 2019. Because we live in a culture and in a world that preaches, 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 preaches. Autonomous self, autonomous self, me first, autonomous self. And by the way, in PDX, we are swimming in it. Including in Clackamas. Have you ever seen that TV series from about four or five years ago called The Dome? It was a Stephen King thing. We got a dome. We got a bubble over Clackamas. We need to pop that sucker, and only God can do it. But it's, it's all kind of a, sort of the self-contained, the autonomous self, and the problem with the autonomous self attitude and mindset in this culture, in this world we live in, is it's from the enemy, it's from the devil, and it's from the pit of hell, and it smells like smoke. That's the problem, and it's eating people alive. Jesus had the complete different, he said, no, think of others, you go to them. You think of others first, even though they're not coming, you go to them. And when that happens, watch what we can do, Jesus would say. And, 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 and the wonder of that, you, you go to them, get your eyes off yourself, and you will find a whole new freedom in your, with yourself because I'll make sure it happens, the peace and the hope and the joy of seeing things change for the good. That's what you'll see. And that kind of attitude and that kind of view is, is relevant to what it is. The other thing I, I think we need to see about this idea of we will go to them we will go to others, not just make them come to us, is that just like the word church, just like the gathering, the movement of Jesus, this is not location-bound. It's not a location-bound mission. And, 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 and the reason I say that is because we need to understand that uh, the way we think about the specific things, we tend to think of them in terms of location, location, location. It's not just about location unless you're buying a house. It's, it's these things we're talking about, uh, and, and I'd like to kind of see them as I list them off here for you it, through that lens. 
But there's another thing I need to tell you before we get to the list. The other thing I need to tell you is just like people, every single church is gifted with a certain personality and certain things and all the resources and all the things and all the people that that church needs to do what God's calling them to do. Just like you and me, that's true for us together. You see, what that means is, is if this is your home, if Eastridge is your home, you're a gift to this church. If you're new with us and you're still checking it out, God bless you. We're so glad. We, we hope we could be your church home. That's great, but this isn't you know, like a strong-arm thing to get you to do it, but you're a blessing to us this morning, so thank you for being here. But if this is your home, church home, you're a specific gifting uh, to, to, to this church. I mean, you, the reason this is important is you may think you chose this church. You saw the sign, you came in and saw the services are good. Uh, or maybe you were on the way to the new Fred Myers. This looked like a, a, a grocery store, so you drove in here. Or maybe your kids got up one morning saying, tell me about God. Oh my gosh, they asked about God. And we got to get them to church. So you get them to church, and then you and uh, your spouse kind of opened the back door, and you looked in. Uh, we were going to drop the kids off, but they're not like flesh-eating zombies in there. Look at that. They look like normal people. Well, maybe we'll stay. So you stayed, and voila, we're so glad you're here. So glad you did. But it was God's work that brought every single one of us here. Even the oldest codger that's here that's been here for 25, okay, 26 years, which would be me. Okay, that's your gift. And God's given us all the gifts we need in order. But what we need to, to have him lead us forward are those new wineskins. And those new wineskins are a way of believing things differently, believing some things differently, having a different mindset about some things, some experiences, some, some things in our church. And I just want to list off six of them to get us to think about so that we can just kind of, you know, I can maybe share this conversation with you and we can start conversing and praying about it, okay? The first one has to do with our weekend gatherings. Our weekend gatherings are truly a blessing. I hope you feel that. I'm, here's, here's an interesting factoid you wouldn't know if I didn't tell you. We've had, I've had two emails from church leaders outside our church. Uh, one of them was the president of a denomination. Another one was a leader in our denomination. Uh, and I've had two conversations with people who are, you know, other pastor friends, leaders, so forth, really, uh, you know, wonderful people who visited us in the last three weeks. And they have all emailed me in the clump of two weeks and said, wow, what an amazing worship time you guys had. This is so awesome. That is just great. I hope you know, God continues to bless you and so forth. And, and you know, that's what we have. We have a, we have a kicking worship band, and, but it's not just about the music. It's about what God's doing here and in the midst of this. And, but here's the thing about how the whole location thing applies to worship gatherings. Whether you're at the Good Friday service or the Thanksgiving service or you're at the bunny brunch or you're at a Sunday morning service, here's how a location thing. It's not just bound to that seat that you like to sit in at the worship gathering. Because when you and I come to worship, it's not about us. It's about him, first of all. And it's about what does he want me to do? I'm, we're still on mission when we're in here. And so you might look over and you see somebody across the lobby or you know, that's not singing across the room or whatever, and you think, and the Spirit says to you, hey, just go say hi. So you do that incredibly brave thing. You afterwards walk over and say, hi, my name is Dwayne. Yeah, we've met before. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't realize that. I forgot that. Now I'm kind of remember it. Have a conversation. You know, maybe 
Maybe God brought you there just to do that. Maybe he brought you there so you can pray for him, whatever. But it's not about the location. It's not about being, it's about what's going on in this room, what's going on out there, what's going on in this place, even though we're in a place, in a location, you see? The second thing, it works the same way, pastoral care. Pastoral care doesn't just work when the pastor is in the house, okay? We got one pastor and two directors on staff. We'll put it that way for now. And all of us do pastoral care, and we are so thankful, and we, we get to do that, and it's such a privilege. But nowhere in the scriptures does it say that those are the only people that do all the pastoral care, that, oh, they're the only ones that are shepherding. There are shepherd leaders in the life groups, and there are people within those life groups, life groups that shepherd one another and walk with one another through the joys and the hope and the blessings. And it's not just, it's not bound to a location. It's a movement that's out there. It's past the doors. It's all in homes. It's all over the place. It's at work. And, and that, that's how pastoral, we need to think of a new way about that and be open to the possibility that God blesses us with that same kind of love, he says, that you have for one another that just blows the autonomous self out of the water and people are scratching their heads. And that's what made all these people come to Christ in the early days of the church. Because they saw that and it was like, oh, that is really different. And that's what we got to open up to. Then the, thirdly, we have to think about, you know, in a new way about the wineskins of our resources. And I mean that in a whole life stewardship kind of way. I mean that in terms of your giftings and in terms of your time. And yes, I mean it in terms of your finances. We'll talk about that in a second. But we mean it into God has brought all the resources he, we need in this church to do what he's asking us to do. It's the same as true for your life and my life. And so here's what I would ask you to pray. In fact, you might want to just write this down. Ask God... Do I believe that all that I have is yours? Money, time, talent, treasure. That all I have has been on loan to me from you, that it's all yours. You see, that's a completely different mindset. That's a completely new wineskin than what we see all around us. And just ask him, say, show me. I, I believe it up here, but I'm not sure. Do I believe it in my heart? Show me what that means. Ask him to do that, okay? That's a really important prayer. That's a new wineskin prayer right there. And here's one reason I say that, okay? Um, I don't know who you are, so if you look up at me and smile right now, I'm thinking this is not you, so no worry at all. We have about 15 to 20 units. <laughs> I hate calling people units because these are people or families, okay, uh, that really support most of the ministry of this church and the work we do here. Uh, but there is a whole bunch of us that either don't give anything uh, financially, either online or on Sunday morning or how, however it is you like to give. And, and there are people that only give a few hundred dollars, you know, a year maybe. You know, there's a lot of that going on. And I don't know who it is. I, I, again, I don't I have no idea. So that's between you and God in this church. But what I'm asking you to do is just bring that to God and ask him what he wants you to do. Ask him to show you a way. Because here's what happens. Every time a year in May, June, or so forth, things are going great, and they are going great, and things are wondrous, and all of a sudden, the cash flow goes, right? Out of sight, out of mind, that kind of thing. And, and, and when that happens, then we have to start cutting stuff, and stuff that really is important that we would like to do and love to do and, and, and be a part of and, and have people help us with. We have to, you know, keep that in, 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 the, in the right focus and do the right thing. And so it goes down. So all I'm saying is, is ask God, do you need to expand my wineskin in terms of how I view my resources, specifically my financial resources? That's what I'm asking. The fourth one is our home. 
Um, you know, and that means this building. I mean, you know, this building isn't like just a write-off. It's a blessing, right? And, and we came, we've come out of what I would call the, the mortgage malaise. You remember that? I mean, we are in some deep mortgage doo-doo. And, and um, our, our, our leadership team went and did some negotiations with our lending uh, company. And, and we have a mortgage now that's still, you know, a, a big payment every month. But it's in keeping with what other churches our size and in a building like this are paying, Okay. And it, 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 it's, it's a huge blessing, and it's taken us a couple years to get out of the malaise, you know, to kind of get our energy back. It's sort of like it's going to take me a couple of more days to get, over the, get, get more energy back after watching that Blazer game the other night with four overtimes. Oh, my word. I'm not sure I can be anyway. Uh, but that's sort of what the malaise is like, right? But it's, go, it's going away. It's gone. And it's wondrous. So now it is that we're looking at this and we go, okay, what do you want us to do with this great resource, this wondrous thing you've given us, our home? Just like, just like every family needs a home, every church needs a home. You need to have a place to sleep and eat. And you need to have a roof over your head. And that's what this is, right? That's what, why we gather and that's, that's what this is. And, and here's the thing. We have a whole unfinished section of it down that way. And this is important. This, that place is a vehicle in, with which to do the ministry that needs to be done. I don't know if you knew this, but I'm making this announcement this morning. The children's ministry is running at numbers that are, are equal to or a little beyond what we've, the highest numbers of kids down there we've ever had. Isn't that great? I mean, that's, that's just awesome. And, and here's the thing about um, kids. Maybe I've said this before, but, you know, children's ministry is like, are, are like sharks. I mean, you know, I don't want to call your kids sharks, although if you have preschoolers, you might think they're sharks. But, but did you know that sharks only grow to the size of the tank? <laughs> that thing's only going to grow to the size of the tank. And so, yeah, there's ministry, there's a school, there's, you know, there's men's ministry, there's women's ministry. If you've ever gone to, down to room 129 and had a seminar in there of more than 20 people, you're just praying everybody got deodorant that day, right? So we need to expand that space. And uh, let me just, I want, if you've, if you've been sleeping, I want you to wake up because I got to say something that I've said before, and apparently not everybody's heard it. And oh, by the way, a church like ours, um, people that call Eastridge their church home, is pro- we, we run between 450 and 550 every Sunday, but that's not the extent of the people that call church home. We probably have about 700 to eight, 750 to 800 that call this their church home. So, if your friends aren't here when I say this, please tell them so I don't have to say it again. You heard us talk about the elevator to make it possible to build the basement because we got to put that in first. We talked about that last year, and then we stopped, and I told you why we stopped, but apparently I didn't get the message out enough. Uh, we, we, we stopped last fall and put it on hold for about another year. We'll talk about it again in the fall. I'm not announcing any campaigns or anything today. We'll talk about it in the fall. But that elevator, which is the vehicle to do this ministry, um, we pulled it, and, and here's why. You should be very happy be, that you have leaders who count the cost. Just like Jesus said, count the cost before you move into something. And so we counted the cost, and we found out there was an extra $40,000 that we didn't have to put that elevator in because of some wiring and some other issues, and we're looking at ways to mitigate that and all that kind of thing. We don't want anybody stuck in the elevator. Don't worry, it won't happen. But the reality is, is that, that's why we stop. So it's, a, it's something you can be thankful for, and it's something that we will talk about again, but that has to do with how we kind of expand the possibilities of what God wants to do in our church home, because there's a whole new set of space. It's a whole new location that we're talking about. 
Finally, or, or fifthly, equipping. That's discipleship. That's how the Bible talks about discipleship. And it's not just a programmatic thing. Being a disciple is sort of like, like uh, you know, you've heard the phrase mere Christianity. It's sort of like being a mere disciple. It means people walking together with Jesus and with one another. And you can't do that in a giant group like this. You've got to have a smaller group and maybe a group of one or two or three or maybe just two people. It's not always has to be at Starbucks, you know. It doesn't always have to be a specific program. We have programs to, you know, Bible reading plans and all that kind of stuff to make that possible for people. But it's people getting together and say, hey, did you hear that uh, on Sunday? You know, I'm not sure I buy that. Yeah, I don't know. You know. Let's look at the scriptures and go through that kind of stuff. And walking together and learning together and being there when you need somebody and then you're there for them when they need you. and That's mere discipleship. That's equipping one another, not just with head knowledge, although we need that, but with life knowledge and life wisdom. And then finally, others. And what I mean by that is we need to start thinking, I think, this is the new wineskin, more and more in cross-cultural mission. We, we're, we're going to Mexico. You heard about that. That we're, we're, we're expanding. We're moving forward in those ways. We're touching Kenya in a few weeks. Some of us will touch uh, Palestinian territories in Israel. We'll be going there. Um, so we're doing the international thing. But I'm even talking about cross-cultural missionary, cross-cultural missions right here, in Clackamas. And over there, about three miles, is a, a completely different culture. <laughs> Call it the West of 205 culture. I mean, PDX, is, it's a great opportunity for that. But just like everything else on this list, nothing happens until God's people start to bathe it in prayer. And that's why I'm asking you to bathe it in prayer. And just to sort of whet our appetite for what is possible and what can happen, let me show you what happened to these same disciples who heard about the new wineskins and the right kind of cloth sewn on a garment and the bridegroom being with them after he descended into heaven, let me show you how that promise was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 on opening day of the church. Um, here's what happened. They're praying. We left, last week we left them praying, praying, praying in the upper room, day and night. Lord, show us. Lord, show us. Lord, show us. Because he was asking them to wait until something happened. They weren't sure. It had something to do with the Spirit of God, but they didn't, yeah, they didn't really get that. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit falls on them. You remember that? And they see these tongues of fire on top of each other's heads. That had to be weird. And so they run outside, maybe to look for water for the flames, I don't know. And they start talking, but when they're talking, they're talking in languages that they don't even know. But the real languages and the people who are there for this big Pentecost time celebration, they're from all these different countries, say, hey, you're telling me about Jesus in my own language. And, and uh, do you know my language? And they're going, blah, 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 blah. They don't even know what they're saying. They say, no, I don't know your language. <laughs> And, 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 and it's so crazy, it's so stirred up that people think that they've got new wine in their wineskins right there. They think they're drunk. It's just incredible. And so what happens then is, is Peter the Brave, formerly known as Peter the Scaredy Cat, stands up and he says bold things like this, beginning at verse 29. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried in his tomb and is here to this day. In other words, go over there, look at the bones. They're in this, uh, uh, I'll call it a canister. That's not very, that's kind of irreverent. You can go today to Old City of Jerusalem and there's a certain room that Jewish people go to pray in front of the bones of David that are supposedly in this canister. If you're a Gentile and you pretend you're a Jewish person, you can sneak in there like somebody else I know. But um, that's, 
It's still there to this day. So the bones are still there. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection and the Messiah that he did not abandon to the realm of the dead, nor did he his body see decay. So he's saying, but there's another tomb over here that's empty. And you all know it. Verse 32, God raised this Jesus to life. Now watch this. This is what makes Christianity different than every other religion in the world or in history. And we all are witnesses of it. Not we, we heard something, we heard a rumor. Not that we believe something, a certain teaching. We saw something, a living Jesus. Exalted to the right hand of God, and he received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he poured out what you see today and here. This is why the Holy Spirit's right here. So, so all the church people, as well as the other people, are going, oh, that's what just happened. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord, uh, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool to your feet. And there, <clears throat> therefore, all Israel assured of, uh, God, uh, be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He's basically, uh, you know, basically look what he does now. He says, I can't, I can't really help this, but I got to say this, say this. You crucified him. I crucified him. My sins crucified him. I just got to tell you. And, and what happened was he's doing a very very countercultural thing to some degree then, but it's really countercultural now. By saying this, he hurt their feelings. They felt guilty. Uh, but it wasn't just to make them feel bad. Look at this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? You see, what Peter knew and what God knows and, and that, is that he loved these people. He would love for them to know this Jesus. But nobody, those of us who've become the followers of Jesus, we know that you can't follow Jesus unless we're broken in the right place, unless we're admit, willing to admit, and that takes some brokenness, to admit that we've been, it's hard for us to say it, wrong. And, and Peter's saying, that's what I want you to understand. Not because I want you to hurt you, but I want you to understand. So they say, they say, what do we do? And Peter says, well, let me tell you what my experience is. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off. Who are those? That would be us. For all whom the Lord will call. This is a bold and radical statement of some new wine that God wanted to open up their beliefs and pour their belief systems and pour it in. Give them a whole new belief system. Verse 40. In many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000. You need to understand, Jerusalem was a city of about 50,000 at this time. This was a big city in those days, but in our time, 3,000 people in one day, boom, become Jesus' followers. What a change that would be. Things had to be really stirred up. And it went so far. Remember last week, Jesus said, the gates of hell will not stop this movement. The gates of hell for these people was the center of the empire. It was Rome. And they couldn't conceive that it was possible that it would ever change. 
that God would ever get a hold of Rome, and certainly not that he could use them. They'd never even been outside the area of Jerusalem and Israel. But you know what? If you've ever been to Rome today, you probably know this. You know what Rome has more than any other city in the whole planet to this day? Crosses. And that doesn't represent just some sort of Roman torture tool. It represents one crucifixion of one person whom we never would have heard about had there not been a resurrection to go with it. That's what we hear. And that's the reality. And so I just want to kind of leave us there daring, letting God dare us to believe him more, to envision, to let us, to, to, to allow him to help us envision a new way, some new things that he could do. And just kind of sit with that over the summertime. And next week, we're going to pick up this idea of how do we care for one another? Because you know why? Guys, it's Mother's Day next week. All right? Gave you your, your, that's the clue phone. The Mother's Day, we always talk about caring for one another, but it's also the perfect thing I think we need to talk about that Jesus cares, dares us to care in that way. And it fits right in with our vision statement, which we will again unpack next week. But here's what it says, and it's this, you know, Jesus is saying, I dare you to do this that we will take every opportunity to show gospel love to lost people and, make, and to be companions of Jesus in making deep, resilient, that can't be knocked down and put down, disciples. That's the kind of thing moving forward that I think Jesus is daring us to think outside our boxes, or let's put it this way, to think outside our wineskins. Let's pray. Loving Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have been here today. We thank you that you want to be with us. It's still mind-numbing. It's still amazing. And that you have done so many good things, and you've reached into so many people's lives here at Eastridge and, and into each of our lives. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us be open to the possibility and open to the imagination and open to your envisioning of what's next. And I pray that you would call us by your spirit and just really over the next few months <clears throat> touch us and, 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 and prod us to pray together that this might be true. May we pick up your dare to have new wineskins and new possibilities of what you can do because you've already shown us it's beyond what we could imagine or even ask you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for being here today, and thank you for this church family we get to be a part of. It's your name we pray. Amen.